Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with uh, my co-host and Fred Clare, and a special episode today for episode 250. Uh, we've got owner and chairman of the San Diego Padres, Peter Seidler, to join us and excited to talk to Peter about uh, his journey, but also dive in with a little bit of uh, his path with Fred. And, you know, Fred, I, I think about all of the episodes that we've done uh, with Pat and with Andy and yourself. We've had many GMs, CEOs, presidents, um, all across different aspects of sports. We've never had an owner's perspective. And so it'll be really interesting to talk to Peter about kind of what lens he sees it through um, and hopefully give our listeners a treat there. So Fred, take it away. Peter, uh, great to have you with us. And uh, I've been thinking about this uh, podcast. I thought about uh, the first time we may have met. And I don't know that I can pin down the year. As you know, I joined the Dodgers in 1969. But I suspect um, you were about 10 years old or um, uh, in that uh, area when we, uh, when we first met. That's right. I'm, I'm 60 now, and I would have been about nine years old. So I think we've, uh, without properly acknowledging it, uh, marked our 50th anniversary as friends. Well, it's been a, a wonderful uh, 50 uh, anniversary, 50th anniversary. And Peter, you have had a, um, a very busy and productive um, off-season with um, key moves in your uh, player personnel department and also in your front office. So I guess let's start with um, how you view uh, this uh, Padre team and the Padre organization as we are about to uh, enter the season of 2021. Yes, um, we, the, the Padres last year won a postseason series for the first time in 23 years. So what, what we hope to do year by year <clears throat> this decade um, is to get to the postseason multiple times. I believe um, in this decade, we'll win a World Series for the first time in, in any major sport in the city of San Diego. That, that's, that's what we talk about, you know, winning the trophy, having a parade, and all the hard work and teamwork, um, because every, every season is a roller coaster. We'll have our ups, we'll have our downs. Um, and of course, in this offseason, we, we signed our 22-year-old superstar, Fernando Tatis Jr., to a 14-year deal, which only furthered my enthusiasm for what we're building. Um, that, that may be or most likely will be the last time I ever do a 14 year deal. But this young man is mature and he's special. And our thought was fans in San Diego that have historically lived through fire sales or maybe make the postseason one year and then dive right back down the next, there's been nothing really sustainable here in the history of the franchise. And we see this as an opportunity to tell our fans for the next 14 years, you know this player 
is going to be playing in your city and he's electric and you know it's there there's risk associated with these long-term deals but we thought it was the right move to make and we think we can build a a whole generation of passionate fans so kids growing up in and around san diego um, of all backgrounds you know wherever you live wherever you come from especially in this world where social change is so important um, we think it's going to lead to both exciting baseball and a much better business and revenue outlook than this franchise has ever had so we're, we're very humble about how we go about things because we haven't done anything yet and the team up the freeway that fred and my family had a long affiliation with has won uh, has won the um, division eight years in a row they won the world series last year and we respect the heck out of them but we're coming right at them well, knowing you, uh, Peter, and uh, our battles on the tennis court, I would expect nothing different uh, from you. And uh, indeed, you um, are part of a legendary baseball family. And for reference, of course, your grandfather, Walter O'Malley, and your uncle, Peter O'Malley. And Peter, you uh, never really uh, ever reached to make a point of that because you certainly don't have to. But growing up, in the environment, in the O'Malley family, um, what what ha did have you taken away from that experience? Uh, you've got many experiences in business, but what about that process of growing up? What is that there that you've carried with you to your current position? Well. Aside from just a really deep love of the game and what it means in our society, and I remember the first time I heard Bud Selig say that baseball is a social institution, it resonated with me. Um, as, as, um, and that's important, I think, certainly important to me and others around here, but when it comes to running a franchise, I learned so much from my grandfather and my uncle. And I'll get to a second part of that. But what I really learned from it is there's great value in stability as long as it's combined with excellence. And that's where I believe our franchise is going. Uh, we have a great um, talented executive team on the business side. And while I would say maybe perhaps a bit misunderstood on, on the, on the baseball side, we just have a great and stable organization and everybody strives for excellence day after day. And that's what I saw in, in, so I mentioned, um, my grandfather and my uncle Peter, who I talk to still regularly. Um, the executives were an equally important part of that. And I, I think of the, um, the, the Dodger executives that built and led that franchise to do many historic things, going back to signing Jackie Robinson in the, before I was born. And, to, you know, I, Fred, what was the rallying cry in Brooklyn? You know, we'll get him next year or something. Yes. 
<laughs> Wait till next year. Wait till next year. Um, and, and that was a while ago, but you know, that baseball, baseball's a roller coaster and you don't win every year, but you got to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, you got to enjoy the, the ups as much as the downs. Um, but like in any organization, it comes down to people and the executives I saw, you know, with, with the Dodgers growing up and there was probably a good couple of generations of them, um, you know, Fred among the small handful at the top of my list, they, they you know, they, they made such a difference. And when there's so much turnover in sports these days, you know, you don't, you don't win one year and, and people freak out. Um, you know, I've, I've told our general manager, now our president of baseball, heading into this season, you know, my, my feelings on him are not going to change if we have all kinds of bad luck and win 75 games or if we have all kinds of great luck and win the World Series, you know. So one of the first moves I, I, I did when I um, uh, really in, uh, late last year took, took over complete control of the franchise is I extended our CEO and our president of baseball for six years not because I want to force stability on things, but because um, they've earned it. And with, you know, they've earned my trust a hundred percent. And, you know, there's a real, there's a real passion to win here, which I, I mean, I, I can remember Fred when, when you acquired Eddie Murray and I was, you know, watching him in spring training and I'm like, man, this guy makes a difference. And, and Reggie Smith and, you know, um, it was just so inspiring to see no matter what good outcome might have happened the year before, there's always a mandate to get better. Um, and a lot of that just uh, completely informs the way I look at the Padres and where we can get to. Peter, that's uh, very well said. And um, I know that uh, your um, primary business which you continued in or your primary before the Padre involvement uh, is as the lead manager for Seidler Equity Partners and uh, I suspect by your uh, description as I'm well aware of that there's uh, quite a bit of a, a Warren Buffett influence also in your evaluations of companies and people and front offices. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I love everything about Warren Buffett that I know, and you know, kind of in our in our little private equity shop, especially back in the early days. You know, we would say we 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 gotta we gotta grow into a tiny version of Warren Buffett. So, you know, there's nobody like him. I'm sure the mold was broken, but. He empowers his people, he focuses on the people and then lets them do what they do best. And, you know, what I talked about before about, you know, the combination of stability and excellence. Yes, I learned that from um, not only my grandfather and my uncle, but also from my father who was in the investment banking business. And sure. that's, that's weaved into everything inside in the equity. And, you know, it really, in my view, applies to any organization. If there's constant change and turnover and, you know, always 
thinking the grass is greener. I don't, I don't think you ever get anywhere. And you know, that it's really been a core thing, core theme of the success that Sidler Equity Partners has had in private equity. And again, certainly um, weaved into the fabric of the Padres at this point. Peter, the uh, inspiration for our podcast, Life in the Front Office, uh, just as the title implies, is to encourage, educate, guide, and do all that we can to help uh, people who are listening um, with um, information and thoughts about how they may find an opportunity in the business world of sports. And on that front, Peter, when you look uh, for an executive, uh, you're going to hire someone. What, what are the qualities that you look for? What, what are you seeking in that person that you're going to, um, to bring on as a part of your organization or perhaps as a leader of one of your departments? <laughs> so Fred, um, you know, going back to any moment in, in our lives, you know, up until maybe the last five, I don't think you or, you or I ever heard the phrase, I'm going to build my personal brand. I, I thought Fruit Loops might be a brand or Kellogg's, but um, I think you, you and I probably looked at it as let your actions speak for themselves and that will develop your reputation. And it takes a long time to build a, a good reputation and, you know, a minute to mess it all up. Um, but I look for people that have good reputations and are, you know, when you come to work, it's got, and myself included, anybody top to bottom, it's got to be organization first. And, you know, it's not about personal interests or personal side agendas. So that is one thing I, I look for. Um, the person that we just hired in marketing, we hired, you know, we had a need in the marketing area. We were not strong in that area the past couple of years. So we made a change and the person comes from the last 12 years of his career at Disney. Um, so he's, you know, he's not a person that's bounced around here and there and you know, this was something of a dream job for him. He, he just started in the past month and he's really hit the ground running and made a difference. So when we add from the outside, it's, it's always kind of a calm and thorough diligence process. And it, it was a tough call because we had other good candidates. Um, but more often than not, we're going to hire skilled and motivated people and let them grow in the organization and hire from within or promote from within. Um, as an example, we, we recently did that in the, in, the mar in the finance area. So those are the two changes that we made recently. Um, and both have been real solid competency upgrades as well as culture upgrades. And I, I think um, if, we're, if we're talking about the Padres in five years, I don't think you'll see any other differences in our in our senior executives um, they, they love being a part of this they love the pos the possibilities and it's because hopefully we've created an environment that 
fosters that. And, you know, one of the things or among the important things that we do is we always challenge ourselves to be better. Our CEO who sits in the office next to me has had really good success here, but he's, you know, he's constantly in, in the front of his mind is just how we can do, how, how can we do this better? And um, it, it's, it's a pretty well-oiled machine. Now, now we just have to win some baseball games. Peter, your family uh, was uh, certainly uh, very much involved uh, in baseball and with the Dodgers in their own way and in their own roles. And I refer to your sisters who were usherettes at the Dodger Stadium. Uh, at the same time, my daughters uh, were there as usherettes. And of course, uh, your brother Tom has had a um, longstanding interest in baseball and again started from the uh, ground up uh, working for us uh, with the Great Falls team. So there has been that to me, real foundation in baseball that you have brought with you and that you're able to uh, draw from in your, uh, in your current role. Yes. Um, and I would say, uh, especially Tom, my, my brother, who's probably seven years younger, but, you know, he just wanted his career to be all about baseball and it has been. He, um, he bought a minor league team of, I don't know what, 20 years ago and just sold it in the past year. So we could, you know, focus hundred percent on the Padres, but he runs all of our community activities here, which are extensive and broad and, you know, target things like, um, you know, we, we have probably the three most important things are youth sports, youth education, and cancer research. San Diego is a big hub of um, cancer research and innovation. There's a lot of kind of cutting edge stuff that goes on there. So that, the, the things that are most relevant to um, San Diego, and I think, you know, we, we look at our organization as we gotta, we, we gotta play winning baseball and exciting baseball. We gotta run our business in the best way possible and those two things are directly linked because the the better the baseball team does the easier it is to sell tickets and sponsorship and of course the more money that come in the front you know come come into the uh into the business um, the more money we have to spend on players and you know hopefully do it the right way but the third thing is community and it's one it's one of the really great things about owning a professional sports franchise, especially in one of the major sports, is you can have such a, you can make such a difference in the community. Uh, um, you know, when, when, oh, probably five or six years ago, it became really clear that San Diego's number one problem was homelessness. And so myself and several others really kind of spent a lot of time on, on that issue and it's complicated now by COVID like everything is, but the city has seen its homeless numbers decline and in a state where every other major city is, continues to grow in their homelessness population. 
And it, it's just, you know, we, we basically work collaborative, collaboratively with the politicians down here who generally are very good and very constructive, but um, kind of pushing them on a controversial issue to do the right thing is, you know, some, something that I've learned um, particularly with longtime San Diegans who have, who have been a real part of this, that you got to push the politicians to help them do the right thing sometimes. Um, but just indicative of how important um, a, a major sports franchise can be to a city. And, and Fred, you know, I, I saw that too going way back um, in what the Dodgers meant to Los Angeles, you know, really on day one. Um, and throughout the 1960s and, and um, for, de for decades after. But um, going, going back to your point about, you know, starting at the ground floor, th there's something irreplaceable about that. And, um, and it's really an advantage for me and for our organization to have my brother. I mean, there, there's executives throughout baseball that, you know, at one point we're in basketball or they might've played college football or whatever. And, you know, that, that's great, but just, you know, kind of growing up around the game is something that brings a lot of flavor and hopefully a lot of heart. Well, Peter, in, in my view, of course, uh, that's certainly the, um, the foundation that you continue to build and the right way to build it. And uh, having had the, uh, honored to um, know your grandfather, Walter, to be in many major league meetings with him, and to be so aware of how he always saw the bigger picture, and in helping the community, and having the team as part of the community. Uh, I really applaud all that you, um, you do in those efforts. Peter, on a um, broader front, with the start of the season, uh, it will also mark the season at the end of it, the end of the current agreement between the uh, players and owners. How do you um, view uh, wh where you are in baseball, you as an owner of a team, and the hopes for um, what will happen in the uh, resolution and in the building of the future of baseball in the agreement between the players and the owners? Well, <clears throat> let me go back a step. You, you mentioned um, my grandfather always saw the bigger picture. And I, I, I saw that in him um, and, and other people throughout my career. Like you, you always have to have the big picture in mind. And I would much rather see you know, right now, probably with baseball, labor is mentioned in half of the articles about the game. And that's unfortunate to me because there's a lot of really good fundamental things going on through the commissioner's office um, and, and with support of the owners. Things like we're figuring out how our game needs to evolve and how we present it to Generation Z. And Generation Z is gonna, is gonna, you know, consume things the way they consume things, which is way different from 
when myself and all the other owners were growing up, but we've got some really skilled young executives in the commissioner's office that are learning that unlike myself, you know, they're not going to typically sit down for three hours and watch a game and enjoy every minute of it without my cell phone. They like, you know, little video clips and exciting stuff and bam, 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 bam. Um, as well as all the social media stuff, uh, you know, FaceTime, TikTok, and all that stuff. So fundamentally for the long term of the game, I think we're going to capture that generation in a way that nobody really knows. And I think the social justice stuff that's happened in our society in the past year is, is ultimately going to be great for baseball. Um, from everything from hiring practices to um, bringing in more diverse fans and, um, you know, just being mindful of the, you know, of all the opportunity out there, you know, within chaos, there's opportunity. And, and, and plus, you know, I, I've tried to really study what's going to happen here in the post-COVID world. And I think the economy and consumer behavior is going to sprint right back. I think it's going to happen really fast and really positively. And for, and for us, I think we're going to have a hard time providing enough tickets for, for all the people that want to see a game here. But all that said, um, the labor, the, the relationship between the owners and the, and the union has got to get better. And I do believe kind of behind the scenes, little bridges on both sides are being built in that direction. So while appears this negotiation will go right, you know, right up to the December 1st deadline, that's just the way these negotiations seem to play out. I think there's a lot of people in the game on both sides, both the union and the owner side, that are trying to figure out how can we do good for the game here? Because that, the more we fight, the more football takes market share, the more basketball takes market share. And, and so um, in my view, it's going to get sorted out. It, of course it'll get sorted out. My hope is that it, it gets sorted out well before anybody's worried about a a labor stop, you know, a, a, a labor stoppage, you know, a lockout or a strike or anything like that. And the way I read the tea leaves, it won't be easy and it might be a little bit ugly between now and there, but together we'll figure out a way. And there are many others that, that are not as optimistic as I am. Um, but I'll, 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 I'll make my bet on the optimistic side. And you know, what's a, a good deal is ultimately when neither side is happy. So, you know, neither side is perfectly happy and probably nobody knows what it might be. I sure don't, but I think there'll be a compromise that, you know, we'll head into the 2022 season in a post COVID world that may be better than the pre COVID world and we'll have a long-term contract with the union. Um, 
a lot of uh, strenuous negotiating to happen between here and there. Well, Peter, uh, on behalf of uh, Jake and our team, uh, we can't thank you enough. And uh, Jake, I'll let you step in to um, wrap up uh, a very uh, special uh, podcast for us. Peter, really appreciate the time, insights, perspectives. Uh, I got to ask you one question as we sign off. If you can describe this upcoming season, what it will be in one word. Parade, because we want to have a parade in San Diego. When <laughs> That's my one word. Well, Fred, I I, uh, I think uh, he's put a challenge out there for you and your Dodgers. So, um, Peter, again, thank you again. Appreciate it. Uh, episode 250 on the Life in the Front Office podcast. Excited to see where it can go. Uh, and Peter, we'll, we'll certainly be watching uh, to see if San Diego uh, has their parade later in this fall. Fred, always great to talk to you. And, and, and Jake, um, great to see you. And thank you both. <laughs>